welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, if I could have you stand for our scripture reading today, and it comes from Numbers chapter 6. It's verses 22 through 27. It's a marvelous, wonderful passage of scripture, and we're going to spend our whole time just camped in this and think through some of the implications and some of the ramifications of these great words. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, there is a picture on the screens right now of my son Sam and me. It was obviously taken just a little while ago, because Sam is about four or so in that picture. And it was obviously taken just a little while ago, because... My hair was a little darker then than it is. Now, maybe it's the mud. Maybe it was still white then. But anyway, that picture was taken in about 1996, maybe 1997. It was taken at a park out in Rockland right after a football game, obviously played in the mud and in the rain with a bunch of people from the church we were leading at the time. And it was, and it always will be, one of my favorite pictures with my son, Sam. When we were there, we didn't know that the picture was even being uh, taken, but it has ended up, at least to me, having a lot of symbolism in it and a lot of meaning that every time I look at it, it comes up through the years. For example, I think Sam and I have always had a pretty good relationship as father and son, and sitting there in that mud holding his hand kind of foreshadows what I think has been a pretty good relationship through the years. Both of us are obviously muddy and we're obviously messy and our muddiness and our messiness continues to be true of both of us to this very day, both literally messy and muddy and symbolically. Life is challenging. Walking with God is difficult. Father-son relationship can be messy and muddy at times and certainly we've had our share of all of that. I actually remember what I was saying to him when that picture was taken because he had just said to me, Dad, I'm really cold and I want to go home. And I was bending over, looking into his face, and I was telling him the plan, kind of giving him a picture of how we were going to walk to the car, take off our muddy clothes, get in the car, crank up the heat, go home, take a warm shower, and have something to eat. If you will, I was giving him a vision of how we were going to deal with the mud and deal with the mess and how we were going to deal with it together. And everything would soon be okay. And I remember asking him right about the time this picture was taken, so you ready to do this, buddy? And he was shivering and his face kind of said, no, not really. But his head nodded with a yes. So our summer series here at Oak Hills is called What's on Your Mind? 
And there have been some wonderful messages during this series so far by some incredibly gifted people who are part of Oak Hills Church, spiritually wise people who are part of our congregation, Jenny Jang, back in mid-June, Sharon Richards a couple of weeks ago, last week Paul Yin gave the message, and there are more to come in the next few weeks. I was with Arizona uh, with Sam last weekend, and on Sunday morning, I was getting live text messages from someone who was sitting through the service, and they were telling me certain, shall we say, interesting words and images. Paul Yin was articulating from this platform. And my response was, well, there's a last for everything. Thanks for sharing, Paul. Don't call us. We'll call you. Just kidding, though. I've heard nothing. I've heard the messages, most of them. I didn't hear Paul's, but I will. But I've listened to them. It's just really rich and powerful to have such good voices in our own congregation. But here on this Sunday, on July 25th, 2021, it's my job to kind of share with you what's on my mind. And there's one thing on my mind, and it has been on my mind for quite some time. Next Saturday afternoon, Sam uh, and his fiancée, Lauren, are getting married, and I'm officiating. So that little guy who stood in the mud with me 23 years ago next Saturday afternoon, will stand in front of me with his new bride, and before God and before their friends and before some family, they will begin their life together as a married couple. And for the last several weeks, and actually the last several months, and I'm really going to tell you what's on my mind, for about the last 28 years, what's been churning in me is all sorts of passions and remembrances and thoughts and reflections about being a dad. For example, I've been thinking nonstop, especially in recent days, about the crucial role of parenting and the importance of continuing to be an invested dad to my grown son and grown daughters. The importance of Julie and I loving well are now adult kids and their soon-to-be spouses or significant others. And actually, Julie and I, through our love, through our words, and through our action, blessing our adult children and continuing to bless them and and blessing their future spouses and significant others as the adventure of their lives continues to unfold and takes them wherever it takes them. I've been thinking about the desperate need in people of all ages, young, old, and everything in between, but especially the desperate need in younger people and in children to experience blessing from the older people in their lives. I've been thinking, just to put it really bluntly, I've been thinking about the importance of a father's presence and voice in the life of his daughter or son or daughters or sons from the second they are born, if not before, until they are 80 years old, if everybody lives that long. Never stop being a father. This idea that you just, it never Stops. So how do we stay invested the whole way? Now, I imagine we all have certain things, for whatever set of reasons, we just really care about. 
The importance of it was etched into us long ago, and that etching has never faded. Before Julie and I even had our children, the importance of being an invested father was etched into me. It's just one of those things I've always valued and have always believed is incredibly important. That one of my main jobs and primary callings was to do my best to speak words of life into the souls of my children. To point my children to the bigger story of God and his goodness and grace. Not to strong arm them into it, but to point them to the bigger story of his goodness and his grace. To try to demonstrate to them the values I believe are important to what philosophers throughout the ages refer to as the good life. And to urge my children to live lives of humility. To live lives of self-awareness. To live lives of self-sacrifice, to live lives and to have hearts that are expanding in grace and forgiveness and offering this to the world. And this passion was birthed in me a long time ago. And the older I get, the greater the passion I feel for the future of my own children and for the next generations. When I think about the monumental challenges children and young people face in today's world, the pressures, the obstacles, the relentless seduction of media, and social media, the brokenness of so many families torn apart by whatever, the disparities so many young people are born into because of race or economic issues. These things increasingly matter to me. And I want to say this, and I'm going to say this with certainty, which is not a word I really like that much, but I know with certainty that it is vitally important for us as parents and grandparents and families and as a church family to invest in younger people and speak into their lives and do our best to bless and empower the next generations. And this is one of the reasons why I so love it when children are running around this room or this campus and are actively involved in our gatherings. I love it when children come forward and they're asked questions about his million dollars, a good wish, or is it a blessing? And one of the kids goes like, this is a blessing. I love having them in the mix with us. I love it when a baby screeches in the middle of what I think is something important that I'm saying. And it's like the little kids going, I don't care what you're saying. I want to screech. I love that. I love it when we extend our hands and dismiss our children and send them out. And I love all of this because increasingly, the older I get, the more I'm realizing how incredibly valuable children are, no matter how old they are or how young they are. And our job as parents and grandparents and families and as a church family is to bless our children and young people and the next generations. To numbers six them, if you please. To create cultures in our homes and in our church that say and demonstrate to children and young people, the Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Today's scripture that I read a moment ago is an absolutely wonderful passage. Number 6, verses 22 through 27, is where God tells Moses how the priests, Aaron and his sons, 
were to bless the whole of the Israelite people. God tells, Mo, God tells Moses to tell the priests, say to the people, the Lord bless you and keep you, and so on. So this passage is sometimes called the Aaronic blessing because Aaron was to pronounce this blessing over the people of Israel. Part of the priest's job was to stand in front of the people and bless the people in the name of the Lord. And it is believed with this particular blessing in number six that this blessing was given to people most of the time at two points. When they walked into the tabernacle or the tent of meeting to worship or offer sacrifices, that a priest was there offering a blessing to them as they walked in. And then it was offered again when they left to go back out and live their lives. These instructions in number six I read a moment ago about blessing are smack in the middle of a series of instructions in the book of Numbers about how to live holy. How the people of Israel are to live as God's holy people in this world. So note this. The priests regularly blessing of the people was essential to live as God's people in this world. The priest, it was built right into the rhythm of the community. The priest blessing the people was essential to the people living as God's people in the world and in their everyday lives. Hearing someone say the words of the blessing, hearing someone pronounce the blessing, was and is essential to living as God's people in this world. And I don't have to convince you of how young, very young, and old, even very old, and every age in between longs to hear and experience blessing from God coming through the words and the face and the touch of someone in their lives. I don't care how old or young we are, we long to experience blessing from God through another person. Let's talk about what it means. Often in the Bible, we read about people blessing others. This is all over the scriptures. Fathers blessing their children. Grandfathers blessing their grandchildren. Moses blessing the 12 tribes of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Jesus, at the beginning of his great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, it all begins, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And so on it goes. But I got to tell you, sometimes when I hear this idea of blessing, when I hear the word, when I hear someone talk about the concept, or when someone says, I am blessed, or someone says, hey, God bless you. Sometimes this may just be me, but sometimes it all feels a bit too churchy to me. Kind of has that religious sugar sort of sprinkled on top of it. And it doesn't always feel real to me. But in the Bible, when someone blesses another person, it always comes across like much more than this rote formality. It always seems like more than just, oh, those are nice words. It always seems like more than a ritual before we head out to brunch. Example, in Genesis chapter 48, Joseph brings his two sons to their grandfather Jacob, who is dying. You've got to get this scene. I don't know how old his sons were at the time. It doesn't matter. But Joseph is bringing his two sons to their grandfather who's dying. 
And Jacob puts his hands on his two grandchildren. It's kind of interesting. We don't have time to go into it. But Joseph brings his sons up. And the one that's on Joseph's left, he wants his, grandfa- his father's right hand on that grandson. And Jacob goes like this. He takes his right hand and puts it on this one. And he takes his left hand and puts it on that one. He's playing Twister, I guess, with these two grandsons. We can't get into why he does it that way, but he puts his hands on his grandchildren and he says these words, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. I just love that little phrase. May he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. I'm sure those boys, if they were young enough, are going, what's he talking about? Why are we sitting here? And yet, Joseph knew it. Jacob knew it. Puts his hands on them, touches them, and then speaks words of blessing into the souls of these two boys. Almost has a prophetic quality. Like something is coming into existence through this blessing. Like something is actually being created, if you could say, through this blessing. And blessings in the Bible have this kind of life-making and life-shaping quality to them. So the giving and the receiving of a blessing in Scripture, this was taken very seriously. In fact, it was expected that the blessing would impact the destiny of the person to whom it was given. I want us to think about that. It was expected that the blessing would impact the destiny of the one to whom it was given. Not because of some magic power in the words, but because God was being invoked to bring this forth. As though the speaking of the blessing unleashed a power from God that set in motion the factors needed to bring about the fulfillment of the blessing. So the giving of a blessing somehow invoked the presence and the power of God to bring it to pass in the person's life. This kingdom, this is power, this is this invisible realm that exists that somehow through these blessings we're tapping into that power and inviting God to do his thing. So it's almost like the blessing is a prayer where we are confident it's going to be answered. It's powerful, powerful stuff. So to bless another is to speak words invoking God's favor with the intent that the other person will actually experience this favor in the future and God will make it so. The song we sang earlier, this idea of blessing your children and your children's children, that 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 blessing would happen. And then that refrain we sang over and over again, amen, amen. God, make it so. God, make it happen. See, I feel this when we have child dedications. I feel some little sliver of this when we have a child dedication. Holding a new life, at least the ones that let me hold them, which isn't too many. But holding a new life and praying as we extend a hand and pray God's blessing over this new life. There's a power in that. There's something happening 
in that experience. When we say to one another, the Lord bless you and keep you and be gracious to you and make his face shine on you and turn his face toward you. We're asking God to bring holistic well-being to the other person or to the other or to the group. You see that we're asking God to bring his abundance and happiness into the spiritual, relational, emotional, and physical realms of the other person or of the group. Incredibly powerful thing. So to bless another is to breathe God-drenched life and hope and joy and goodness and confidence into the soul of another eternal being. The specifics of this blessing that we've been looking at. Let's talk about that. There are different kinds of blessings in the Bible, but this one in number six, I'm just going to call it an identity-giving blessing. It establishes a person in the reality of God and reminds them of who God is and who they are to him. Three times in this blessing in number six, God is named as the central figure. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So the Lord bless you. What are we saying? Such a powerful thing. What we're saying is, may the Lord give you overall well-being. May he permeate every part of your person with his presence and with his power so you experience his permanent and lasting peace. Overall well-being. Holistic well-being. Emotional, spiritual, relational, physical well-being. We are asking God to bring that to another. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you or guard you or protect you from anything and everything that could thwart the blessing we're asking God to bring. It's similar to what Jesus teaches us in his prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from anything that will undercut the holistic blessing of God permeating every aspect of our lives. The Lord make his face to shine on you. Such a beautiful image of God's face looking kindly on the other. The verb shine in that phrase, the Lord make his face to shine on you, the verb shine is used, uh, is the verb for sunrise. Now think about that, the sun rising every day, lighting up the world, bringing good to people in a natural sense. It's quite an image. May the face, the, the Lord make his face to shine on you every day, all day. As you live your life, that God's loving kindness would be directed toward you and you would experience it in every part of your being every day. The Lord turn his face toward you. Once again, another wonderful image of God's face being related to this idea of God's blessing. God's face turning toward his people. God's face turning toward those who are his. Think about this in light of the prevalence of shame and guilt people carry from their fathers, from their mothers, and from others 
who turned away from them in one way or another. A father or a mother or an other disappointed in a child and the father, mother, or other turns away from them. Father, mother, or other angry at a child so they turn away from them. Father, mother, or other disgusted with a child so they turn away from them. But here, God's face shines on his people and this powerful image is turned toward his people, is looking at his people, not turning away, but looking into the soul of his people. This is a picture of God being favorably disposed toward his people. He is for them and he is for their good. He takes delight in his people. Now imagine living in the details of our days in the blessed awareness of our king's face shining on us and being turned toward us, navigating life's many challenges and difficulties secure because God is favorable to us. He is for us. He is for our good. His face is turned toward us, not away from us. You see this. There is shame-breaking power in God's face turned toward his people. There's a lot of work being done and emphasis on the importance of a baby, a new baby, attaching to its mom or to its dad or to someone. That its eyes that are bouncing around as it lays there are looking in part, who am I attaching to here? What face is the one that I'm gazing into and looking back on? And when that attachment does not happen, the kind of subsequent chaos that can infect a person's life for decades is well documented. God turns his face toward his people and looks at us. It's a powerful image. Obviously, failure happens. Sin happens. We disobey. We turn away from God. Confession and repentance are essential in keeping us in the flow of God's goodness. So let's be clear on this. This kind of blessing, these are not just nice words to sort of glibly throw out to everyone regardless of their disposition toward God or interest in him. This blessing is for those who want to follow him. They don't do it perfectly, but they're oriented toward him. They orient their lives toward following him and growing in him. And his face shines and is gracious And is turned toward us, even, I would suggest, maybe even especially when we sin, when we fail, when we disobey. And our instinct is to turn down in a way, I believe God's instinct is to turn toward and lift our head. And then this great summary statement at the end of this passage God makes to Moses in verse 27 where God says, so they, the priests, will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Think about this. When we bless someone like this, we are putting God's name on them. That is, we're instilling in them an identity as one who belongs to God the Father. And once again, I want to stress this over and over. This is our job as moms and dads 
and grandparents and friends and as a church family to speak into children and young people and the next generations and put God's name on them. Why does this matter so much? Why am I making such a big deal of this? Well, to try to get at that, I want to return to what's on my mind. And again, this picture back up on the screen. He is on my mind, Sam. His fiance, Lauren, is on my mind. Why does this matter? Because it matters to me because I've got a daughter who's 23. Her name is Izzy. I got another one who's 27. Her name is Abby. I got a son who's 28. His name is Sam. He's about to have a wife. Her name is Lauren. She's 27. Why does this matter? Because the children who were up here earlier put their faces in your mind for a second. Kalena Young is why this matters to me. 23, 24 years old. It matters to me because of young people like Kalena, the children who are in our children's ministry week after week, the youth in our youth ministry, the children who will be at the gathering at the park day tomorrow morning is why this matters. Your children, regardless of their age, your grandchildren, the children and the grandchildren of your friends or of other members in your family, they are why this matters. Because they are all growing up and moving out and entering into a world that wants to squeeze them into a mold and pressure them into an identity that is based on things like appearance, power, sex, money, success, pleasure, status, and a host of other shallow and empty pursuits. So who will be the voices and the presence to remind them of who God is? and of who they are to him. Answer, we must be. So blessing the next generations is an essential ministry of parents, grandparents, and of a church family. There is no one more dangerous in the world than the one who does not know who they are in the eyes of God. And I do not tell you this because it's in some book somewhere. It may be. I'm telling you this based on what I have observed in my work as a pastor in running into people who have no idea of who they are and they're searching to find out, but God is not part of the search. They're the most dangerous person walking the planet. Because when this identity is unknown and God is left out of figuring it out, life very often becomes a frantic chase to find peace in places where peace cannot be found. Life becomes a maddening pursuit to try to answer existential and nagging questions about who we are and whether or not we really matter. Just let the math roll out in your mind. Who am I and do I matter? I want to find out, but God's got nothing to do with it. You don't need me to tell you the kind of chaos that ensues. Now, that chaos ensues sometimes when God is in the picture because it all gets screwed up in one way or another. But the point is to remember our job as parents and grandparents and as a church family. That job is to bless our children and the next generations with life-giving and hope-filled words that remind them 
again and again and again of who God is and remind them of who they are to him. So we say it to our children when they're eight, when they're four, when they're eight, when they're 18, when they're 28, 38, 48, 58, 68, 78, or 88 if we're still living. We say it again and again and again. We show it again and again and again. We convey that we are blessing them again and again and again. And when we think we've said it enough, we say it again and we keep saying it. Because you know and I know living in the reality of a blessing is one of those things that for most of us, it doesn't stick. It doesn't etch in. It does fade away. So we need someone to say it and remind us again and again and again. And our job as dads and moms and grandparents and friends is to say it again and again and again to our children and to other children. I was getting one of our cars worked on the other day, Thursday, and there was a young woman, probably 26 or 27, who was at the counter and she was helping me out and I was asking questions about different things related to the fixing of the car and she was answering those questions rather brilliantly in my simple way of understanding anything to do with a car. But she was very helpful. That was on Thursday. I had to go back on Saturday to get something else fixed. And I was sitting there waiting for them to finish it and she was behind the counter and we were chatting a little bit. And at one point I said to her, you know, you really know what you're talking about when it comes to cars. And it seemed to me, I may be reaching a bit, but it seemed to me her face lit up for a second. And yet that light up in her face, seemed to me, was immediately tempered by some kind of automatic, built-in doubt. Again, I'm probably reaching, probably reading into it, who knows, projecting maybe. It seemed to me that she was probably quite familiar with a culture of evaluation. It seemed to me that she had that thing in her that a lot of you have and I have, which is, eh, on my best day, I get a B minus. I'm always coming up short. It seemed to me she had that thing that you may have, and I know I have, that I just never quite feel like I'm enough. I got that feeling that she maybe had not experienced a culture of blessing. And I thought I could see her light up just a bit at the possibility that she was actually good at something. And somebody else recognized it and called it out. This little grin came across her face and she immediately started telling me how her dad was a mechanic and she grew up around cars and she grew up watching NASCAR and she thinks she knows some stuff but when she isn't sure, she goes and asks the mechanics in the shop to check and make sure and she's learning and it's all in there and I could just see her kind of reveling in this. I thought it was interesting that if I was right about what I was seeing, that as we're talking about this and thinking about this, she brings up her father. Now, whether he blessed her or not, I have no idea, but she brought him up. And I want to end this by realizing this, that we aren't going to get away from this. I don't care how old our children are. There's a role for a dad. There's a role for a mom. There's a role for a grandparent. And if we don't play it, Again and again and again and again and again. And when we think we're saying it too much, 
we say it again, we show it again, we do it again, and we realize this is my job as a dad. This is my job as a mom. And that job doesn't end when I say, I now present to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Sam and Lauren Lucan. That's not the time I go, well, I'm done. It changes. But blessing my son and my daughters is never going to stop. I said to this girl, well, I just want you to know you really know what you're talking about and you do a really good job. I had this little thing in me then. I didn't say the next thing. I kind of wanted to, but I chickened out. But what I wanted to say then was, oh, by the way, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Let's pray together. And as we pray, as you close your eyes, as we think about this for a second, I'd like you to think of your family, your parents, your dad, your mom, your grandparents, your great-grandparents. Go back in your history and think about your family. And then if you have them now, I want you to think in this moment about your children. And then think about their children. And then the children of your children's children. Think about future generations. Of your family name a hundred years from now. When I doubt any one of us will be here. Think about our church family, this one local congregation a year from now. Five years from now, you realize five years from now? I'd like all the children to come forward before you go to your classes. You realize five years from now, there will be children coming forward who haven't even been thought of yet by the mom or the dad. How about Oak Hills in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Children and families from history past to right now into the future. And what it would be like to be individuals, to be families, to be moms, to be dads, to be grandparents, who literally, with God's help, shatter whatever chain needs to be shattered so messes from the past don't get imported into the present or exported into the future. That the blessing of God would redeem the past, transform the present, 
and set off a future unimaginable simply because God was gracious, we were alert, and he poured his blessing out upon us, upon our children, upon their children, and upon future generations. That it may be so. Thank you.